One Week Season. like we have some people jumping in the community stage channel this is pretty cool so uh thanks for stopping by everybody uh we're gonna be on here for about 30 minutes just hanging out a little bit i'm gonna talk week one a bit i'm actually i can see everybody who's coming into the channel and i i see blender's open mouth face staring at me from his avatar it's kind of psyching me out a little bit so uh <laughs> blender this one's for you if you guys haven't checked it out yet, um, make sure you check out the Theory of DFS pod with myself and Blender. We recorded this morning from my car. It was quite a bit of fun uh, and talked some really good DFS strategy theory and, and really just breaking down what DFS is really all about. And I guess that kind of gets to the core of why we're doing these stage channels, these community chats where you guys can drop in. I can talk to you directly. We can do this stuff live and then we can kind of open it up for Q&A toward the end. So we're doing that in Inner Circle, obviously, and uh, we'll be doing some of these as well. I don't know if we'll get to, to Q&A tonight on this channel because um, we've got Inner Circle kicking off in about 25 minutes and obviously we want to start that on time. But uh, just want to talk a little bit about A, the site and what we've been doing and then B, talk a little bit about... Um, week one and what we're looking for in week one that makes week one unique and different type of week than other weeks in the season. So first off, a lot of you obviously have been with the site since the beginning and you've seen a lot of growth. You've seen a lot of things that we've added. One of the things that I'm most excited about this year is, okay, so when I started DFS, I think this speaks to a lot of you guys because you need to have some sort of process. Whether you're whether you're like a very strict math projection strategy type of process player where you do just need to listen to podcasts throughout the week and then hop on Sunday morning and build your rosters or whether you're more of like a get a feel for everything type of player like I am and you want to actually be reading everything instead of listening to everything and seeing what everybody else is saying throughout the week. You have to have a process in your week that's geared toward building a first place finish. And so for me, when I was not writing the NFL Edge, so even when I, when I was writing the NFL Edge at Roto Grinders, by the second year I was writing it, it got pretty hefty as far as the workload. And one of the things that did was it actually took away from my DFS play. So when I'm focused on, if I were focused on large field tournaments, my approach would be different, but focusing on bankroll building contest, which obviously we talk to you guys about all the time. If you're listening to this, you probably know what, what we mean when we say bankroll building contest, but basically those contests where it's not just massively top heavy and you don't have to beat tens of thousands of entries in order to get that first place finish. Well, with those types of contests, a lot of the time that I spend, you know, there's always questions about like, what stats do you look at? Or one of the questions on Twitter earlier was like, what's the tiebreaker if there's if there's two, what stat do you look at as a tiebreaker if there are two players that you really like? I'm wanting to use my time for 
is actually thinking creatively through how I can put pieces together. So there's certain things like we saw it last year, Ryan Tannehill plus Derrick Henry plus AJ Brown. Nobody was building a roster that looked like that. But when you went back through, I think it was eight Derrick Henry, the last eight Derrick Henry blow up games, five of them had included a Tannehill blow up and a Titans wide receiver blow up. So that's the type of roster construction that typically somebody would just throw away. They wouldn't even think about putting that together because they think, oh, these guys are negatively correlated. If Derrick Henry's getting all the touchdowns, Anahill's failing and vice versa. But what I saw and what any of us could have seen, right, with the time and the attention to detail and the intentionality to find these sorts of things is find that Eric Henry and Tannehill and uh, Titans wide receiver were far more correlated than people would have thought or given it credit for because these huge Derrick Henry games came in these Titans blow up games where they just destroyed the opposing team. And so by spending some extra time playing around with the slate, looking at different player combinations and whatnot, we're able to come across that and say, oh, look, here's a way that we can play Henry at super high ownership and gain a significant edge on the field because if we press this one button that says Derrick Henry, we're actually betting that these other two buttons will also get pressed. So I say all that to say, as the workload, I mean, I, I was it was 90 hour weeks, uh, the first, at least the first two years of the site to keep everything running and get everything in place and write the NFL edge and the player grid and everything else. So one of the things that you may or may not have noticed this year is that we've shifted some of my workload. So we're still getting my DFS interpretations in every game on the NFL edge, but also leveraging Hilo and, and Mike and Pappy a little bit more to get the NFL edge kind of created more from the team. And what that's effectively doing is freeing up my time to spend more time thinking through the slate, to spend more time hanging out with you guys on Discord, to spend more time answering questions, and to spend more time finding those player combinations and unique roster constructions that can actually give us that substantial edge on the field. So uh, that's just kind of a little bit of background. Obviously, if you go to the uh, the page on the site labeled Our Team that's at the top of the site, you'll see we have, I think, 22, well, 23 people listed in there. We have um, Mike and Josh who do the Edge Audio listed together. So we have 23 people listed in there, and that doesn't include uh, developers and designers and whatnot. So uh, if you were here in year one where it was pretty much just me or year two where it was me and Dustin and Zandemir, you've seen a transformation on the site. And that's kind of some background on deeper layers of why that transformation has taken place. It's not it's not just to grow OWS, uh, which is great for you, even if it were just that, because obviously you get to lock in your, your entry price for life. But even more than that, it's about maximizing my ability to be a better DFS player instead of just being so focused on, quote, research and maximizing my ability to pass along that stuff to you guys. So really excited about uh, all of that, kind of how we've set up this year and what this year will look like. And uh, basically, you'll you'll have more of me in discord than in the past uh, i'll still probably be really bad about answering pms but try to catch me when i'm uh, floating around in the channels and then more of me on on twitter and whatnot so feel free to store up questions ask questions and 
hang out on Discord. Xandamir's on there all the time because, again, what we're wanting to get you guys really good at focusing on is the fact that most of the people you're playing DFS against, and again, you're playing against other people. You need to beat other people's rosters to get that first place finish. Most of the people you're playing DFS against are playing the wrong game. And so if we can get you, A, recognizing that, B, understanding what the right game is, and C, understanding how to play that right game, the difference is extraordinary. One of the things that Blender and I talked about today on his podcast was the idea that games can kick off and you can basically know if you had a good week or not. You can look at how ownership shook out. You can assess your process from a, a more non-biased standpoint because when you're kind of in the midst of building, it's harder to see what mistakes you might be making sometimes. You can take a step back, you can look at your rosters and you could say, did I bet on clear scenarios? In fact, we might, we might not get to um, the week one thing because I want to talk about something here that's really interesting. If you want to practice what all of this looks like, what it looks like to play the right game in DFS, go to the single slate, the, the, I don't even know what they're called, but the in-slate game that DraftKings has. So they have them on, sh on uh, showdown games and they have them on isolated games on the main slate, but it's where you draft a roster for the first quarter you draft a roster for the second quarter and you draft a roster for the third quarter and so on and so forth. So throughout the second quarter, you're drafting rosters for the third quarter. And there's a starting point in that game format where basically it gives you, I think it's like five screens. So screen one, it gives you like three or four players to choose from. It's almost like a pick them. Screen two, it gives you another few players to choose from. Screen three, same thing. And everybody you're competing against gets those same five screens and has to pick those those same players. So I think it's a five-player roster that you pick from these screens. Every once in a while, they'll have things like Cooper Cup 2x his score or this kicker 3x his score or Robert Woods just his score, right? And so you're choosing things like that. There's this starting point where people you, you come in and you pick who the good plays are in this matchup. Then there's this next step where you start thinking, and, I, and everybody that I've talked to about this, they say, oh, I know what you should do is think about game flow. Or they say, think about if you're drafting in the second quarter, think about who starts the third quarter with the ball. And that feels like you're taking this big step forward of like, okay, I'm thinking a next step beyond the competition, but you're still thinking a next step beyond the competition, how to pick players. Then you realize, that fantasy scoring, the, the biggest event you can get is a touchdown. That's the most important thing you can get. A touchdown within the context of one quarter is totally random. Furthermore, a guy can have 10 catches for 110 yards and have no catches in one of those quarters. So trying to predict better than the field what's going to happen in an isolated quarter, that's not your edge. What's most interesting about it is if you are continually taking that approach, you're picking sharp players. So you end up with this five-man roster that does well, and you're consistently cashing. And this is what's so tricky about DFS. So you think a step ahead of everybody. You think, oh, well, the Rams are starting the second quarter with the ball. They have a lead, have a lead, have a lead, so lead. So
up at 2x his scoring is the way to go here. And you end up with this, quote, sharp roster with good players on it that are in a good position to succeed in the third quarter. And then the third quarter ends and you cashed. But because everybody's building from the same pool, you're cashing and maybe it's a $5 entry and you're getting $7.50 back. And you do that a few times and the thought is, okay, eventually I'm gonna have one of these where I finish in first place and get a big payout. But that doesn't happen because you're drafting the same players everybody else is drafting. So then you start playing this game differently. And I only played maybe 15 or 20 slates last year, but the entry fees are low. I think it's like a $3 entry and a $20 entry. Um, and those are the ones I would play. And I made several thousand off of like 20 to 25 slates of doing this. And all I started doing was saying, okay, who on this, this page, these three players, who's the player that everybody isn't going to take. Now, what's interesting about this format is as soon as the, I think you have like 15 seconds to pick. And as soon as you pick your player, before it moves onto the next screen, it shows you the ownership on that player. So again, the example we used was uh, Robert, Robert Woods score, Cooper Cup 2X his score, and the kicker from this game. So who's going to take the kicker from this game? Most people are not. And so when that screen switches, to, before that screen switches to screen two, you're going to see that, oh, this kicker was only 5% owned. Only 5% of people took this kicker. The other 95% took woods or cup. So maybe you're on that screen and you say, this is not the place where I want to differentiate. I'll take Cooper Cup here. Then you get to the next screen. You say, okay, well, I took Cooper Cup. He was 50% owned, everybody was doing that. So maybe I can find something to differentiate here. And this is where you can kind of basically get some great training for DFS and what DFS really is about while also making some money because most people are playing this game incorrectly. And so you can basically say, okay, I am going to find, doesn't have to be on all five screens differentiation. You just need one or two pieces that nobody's going to be on. Maybe you take the kicker and it's kicker 3x his score. And most people don't do that because you can get a zero from the kicker. But if you get that 3x his score and he kicks a 50 yard field goal, you've gotten 15 points and everybody else is getting five, six, seven from the players that they chose. And then you think about, okay, well, if I took Cooper Cup on screen one, I'm expecting Cooper Cup to have a good game in a, a, a good output in the third quarter. So if Cooper Cup's having a good output in the third quarter, well, then on the screen where Matthew Stafford shows up, you think, okay, I'm going to take Matthew Stafford here. I'm going to say, well, if Cup is succeeding, I want to get Stafford on this roster as well. And so basically it's like this, it's this cool little training forum where you start to see in rapid time what DFS really looks like and how DFS really works. You get to practice. Again, I think that there are $3 uh, entries on this, maybe $5 is the low end, but you get to practice seeing, okay, three players to choose from and somewhere along the line here across these five screens, I have to take the player that I think is less likely to succeed because somewhere along the line here, I have to do something different from my opponents. It also gets you in the habit of seeing in real time how other people are thinking and also having to predict in real time how other people are going to see this screen. So sometimes I'll take a player that is a lesser player on a screen 
and then that screen closes and that guy's 35% owned. You know, it's like, oh, well, damn it, I wouldn't have taken this guy if I knew that he was going to be 35% owned. I would have taken the best play on this screen. But you start to get a sense of how the field is seeing things and the mistakes that the field is going to make or the places where they're going to overlook things. And the first, the first, I don't know, probably the first full slate of these in-game drafts that I did, I was thinking, okay, well, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm out thinking the competition. I'm picking guys who are in a good spot at this point in the game. I'm avoiding kickers in the second quarter on a team that's probably not going to go for a field goal at the end of the half, stuff like that. And I kept cashing. But then you suddenly you realize, well, wait, I'm never going to get these first place finishes. And all of a sudden you click over to, okay, what's the strategy in this game? And you start hammering that strategy and all of a sudden, okay, here's a, a solo first place for 200 bucks. Here's a three-way first place for 120 bucks. Uh, here's a loss. Here's a loss. Here's a loss. Here's a loss. Here's an entire game where I lose every draft I did because everything just keeps hitting what people are expecting to hit. But then the next game, again, you get a $300 payout. You get another $120 payout. And so understanding that first place is where all the money is and that this format is like a great way to practice that um, is, is a cool way for you to kind of get down and dirty with the ins and outs of what DFS is really all about. And uh, to, yeah, to kind of train yourself on how to expand that into larger and larger styles of play. So showdown would be the next step. If you are on the site, you have access to Zandamir's um, Mastering Showdowns course, which is the one where he talks about his cash game strategy and the ins and outs of showdown play. And then we also have all of Zandamir's courses in Marketplace around showdowns and his showdown slant write-ups. But if you've been on the site and been reading Zandamir, you understand the strategy of showdowns, that you're not trying to predict what's likely is to happen in this single game. Instead, you're trying to predict what's your best shot at making money in this single game if we played out this slate 100 times. What would make you the most money? A lot of times it's taking that second game flow scenario or that third game flow scenario. Uh, when we get to inner circle here in a little bit, I'm actually going to be diving into a cool example from a two game slate uh, that's going to be valuable to basically take some of the stuff we talk about there and expand it to what we talk about on a, on a 13 game slate. Because once we get to the 13 game slate or 12 or 11 or whatever the main slate is on a given week, that's where people start really having a hard time applying this thinking because they start saying, well, I like this guy in this game, this guy in this game, this guy in this game. And it's hard to narrow down the player pool. It's hard to put this all together strategically. So in terms of how do you actually get better at some of the stuff that we're talking about? Maybe you've listened to this stuff. Maybe you've even read the marketplace courses and, and you're like, well, I still am not getting it. And you only get one shot a week on the main slate to put this into practice and try to understand it. Well, give yourself some more shots and understand that the smaller the slate, the easier it is to apply some of these concepts. So those in-quarter, those in-game by-quarter slates, I don't even remember what they're called, but those are an incredible way. You know, you can draft 10 of those, 15 of those in the second quarter for the third quarter and get 10 to 15 live drafts of practice on this. Then again, expand to showdowns and get some practice there. Expand to uh, small slates. And, and on small slates, also one of the things that you'll find is there's typically an edge on those small slates because the sharks 
aren't entering them as heavily. People aren't putting as much thought into those. A lot of times, especially the afternoon small slates, is people who are clearly going to be losing money after the, uh, the morning portion of the games. And so they chase those losses by jumping into these small slates. And so start trying to find ways to apply what we talk about into these smaller slates where there's softer player pools. Build up your bankroll through that. We have this tendency, we're all, all or almost all uh, Americans and we've all been raised to face our challenges and all that. And so there's this tendency to be like, oh, I'm gonna beat the main slate, but you don't have to beat the main slate. The goal isn't to beat the main slate. Mike Johnson talks about this in one of his courses in a, in a lesson called Scheduling Cupcakes. The goal here is to make money. So if you can find places where you say, hey, this is a soft game, this is a soft game, this is a soft game, let me dedicate some attention here. I mean, Zandemir was telling me a couple of weeks ago, he was like, I might, I might focus more on Yahoo and Superdraft and FanDuel this year just because they're so much softer than DraftKings. Like wherever you can go to make that money, go there to make that money. Okay, so now that we've covered all of that, that leaves us a few minutes. To, it's kind of weird seeing all of you guys here right in front of me, but like I'm the only one talking. We'll, we'll get to some Q&A on Inner Circle, but um, week one, let's talk week one a little bit. One of the main things to think about in week one is a lot of the chalk is going to congregate and i hit on this a lot in my interpretations in the nfl edge this week so if you read the nfl edge you'll pick up most of this but a lot of the chalk tends to congregate on guys who are either highly talked up cheap pieces or guys who are appropriately priced so those you know the examples we used in the NFL edge this week were the, the Chiefs and Browns game was one of them. The Tennessee-Arizona game was one of them. And the Green Bay-New Orleans game was one of them. So these guys who are going to be highly owned because they project well from a raw score sense. But they're actually priced where, especially this year, DraftKings didn't start out the year with as loose of pricing at the top as they have in the past. In the past, you could get Dalvin Cook for 7200 in week one knowing that he's going to be 9K by week eight or nine or 10. This year, they jumped right into the 9K pricing for these high-end guys. And so recognizing that paying 7K for a player whose reasonable ceiling is 28 to 30 points, that could actually hurt you on a week like this where there's enough underpriced players that somebody in your tournament is going to get to 250 points. If you're building in the Millie Maker, in the Slant, and really anything with 20,000 or more entries, I'm going into a tournament like that assuming that somebody's getting 250 points, which means that I'm going in there saying, okay, I have to try to be that person who is getting 250 points. So uh, one of the things, uh, keep going back to the, the conversation that Blender and I had earlier today, but one of the things that we talked about was we talk a lot about this idea of playing for first place and yet, you know, you're on this site. So you hear us talk about it all the time. It's not foreign to you, but for a lot of DFS players, even that style of thinking is foreign to them because what they're thinking about is putting together quote, a good roster or getting fitting in this, the players that they like based on the salary constraints onto one roster. Well, sure. That's great. But how does that get you to first place? So you literally have to start. If you're going to play tournaments, 
you have to start your thinking from a point of saying, okay, what does a first place roster look like on this week? And I'll give you a tip. The first place roster, let's use week one as an example, and I haven't looked at ownership projections yet, but the week one roster probably isn't Marquez Callaway and Pitts and CMC and Dalvin Cook and Devontae Adams. Like it's not just the most obvious plays across the board. Not to say that all of those guys are going to fail or even that any of those guys are going to fail, just to say that you can't just take, okay, who are the best plays on the slate? Let me squeeze them all in together because that's not going to get it done for getting to first place. Everybody else is doing that as well. So you have to find a couple buttons that you can press, whether it's, and we're running out of time here, so I'll wrap this up, but whether those buttons are, okay, I'm playing this high-owned player, but I'm packaging him with other players from this game in a better way than other people are that bets on a specific game environment playing out. We're going to dig more deeply into that in inner circle tonight, or whether it's saying, okay, so I have these two or three high confidence bets that are going to be highly owned on my roster. So because of that, I have to find one or two buttons I can push that will allow me to differentiate elsewhere on my roster that will allow me to outmaneuver that whole clump of the field that's sitting there together and look, maybe this whole clump, in fact, there was uh, Roto Maven and I were on the phone earlier talking about business stuff, but I used this example of predators in the ocean and, and the, the school of fish go into this giant ball, basically. They all swim together and there's no way to get in there, right? So if you're, if you're not trying to get past this big ball of rosters that's all doing the same thing, sure, sometimes you're not going to get past it and all these rosters are going to beat you. But other weeks, you're going to find that way around that big block of rosters that's all clumped together. And now you have that clearer path to first place. So finding those buttons to say, okay, well, I'm taking these high confidence bets here that are highly owned. So where on my roster am I pushing some buttons that allow me to, to have an opportunity to move past the field. You can't be satisfied with cashing. You can't be satisfied with a solid roster. That doesn't mean that you're disappointed every week that you didn't finish first place, because if that's the case, you're going to be disappointed a lot in DFS. But it does mean that you're building toward that first place finish every week, and you're assessing your process and your results based on how well you did building toward that first place finish. So I'm going to wrap that up here. We're actually going to move this discussion over to the Inner Circle channel now and talk about uh, some of the stuff that we mentioned in the angles email this morning that we'd be talking about. Uh, and then we will take some questions at the end. We've got some questions that you guys dropped in throughout the day, and then we'll open, open up the mic for you guys to uh, uh, kind of discuss this stuff toward the end. So uh, I will see you in Inner Circle, and then obviously I'll see you on the site throughout the week, and I'll see you at the top of the leaderboards this weekend.